Well, let me add my welcome. You've had lots of welcomes already this morning, but let me add my welcome. My name's Lloyd. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to have you with us. Um, welcome to the St. Pete's family here, to family of family who are here, for guests who are here, and for St. Pete's kids who are joining us this morning as well. You are very much welcome here this morning. Uh, let me know, let me let you know that um, it's perfectly fine to stretch, to jiggle, to move around, to yawn, to cry. We all worship in different ways and express that in different ways. So however you do that this morning, it's all good. And to parents, that's also a little um, message to you as well. Don't worry about any noise that they make. Um, all are welcome here this morning. Uh, the Easter story, we're going to look at that. We've had it read, and um, I was sitting next to Jay, and he just laughed at one point, and I was like, you're right, that is funny. <laughs> there are some details that are very interesting all over that, and I'm not going to cover um, all of it this morning. What I'm going to do is I'm going to look at a particular uh, detail, which I've just uh, been struck by in this last uh, season. It's a story about Jesus' scars. I recently chatted to someone who recently uh, told me that he has a burn mark on his hand. It was from a time when he was living on the street and his hands were burned when the tent that he was in caught fire. And he says, whenever he looks at those hands now, that burn, he reminds himself to be grateful for whatever he's got now, where he's staying, the food he has, the life that he has now is different from when he was staying in that tent when it burned and burned his hand. One of my favorite bands um, as a teenager were, were the Goo Goo Dolls, they were called. <laughs> Who's heard of them? I love this line, scars are souvenirs you never lose. Scars are souvenirs you never lose. You could tell I was a cheery teenager, right? <laughs> I mean, Glasgow's even rainier than, than Vancouver, so you can kind of see why. You see, scars all tell stories. Each scar tells a story, and you're probably thinking in your mind, aren't you, of the scars that you have in your body, of that burn, that skateboard trick that took you hundreds of attempts to do, that tackle in soccer where you slid in, that altercation that you had. I have some chicken pox scars. I have some soccer scars on my arms. I also don't have a knuckle uh, because of a spiral fracture um, uh, because of a rugby incident. So turn to someone close to you and point to one of your scars. You don't need to like show them body parts, we have kids around. <laughs> um, but just point to one of your scars to someone close by to you. There are shoulders, there are hands, mostly elbows. All scars have stories, don't they? Scars tell stories. Scars tell, tell us stories. There's lots of stories. You can carry those afterwards if you'd like and tell more of those. But usually they're the bad part of stories, aren't they? Scars are for the baddies in this story, not the goodies. Scars show that something is wrong. In fact, scars are used in stories and films to tell you that something is not quite right. One of my films, favorite films growing up was um, this um, very intellectual and, and popular and, and deep and meaningful film called The Lion King. 
And remember the name of the baddie in that film? <laughs> scar. Right. Simba's evil uncle who had a big scar on the side of his eye here. And Disney was continuing a really lazy idea that, that, that scars are for baddies. And also that baddies all have posh English accents, right? <laughs> Simba, I can see you. But I can testify as a Scottish person, having lived in England and married to an English woman, that that reputation for English people is only partly true. <laughs> okay. But in the Easter story, I'm only joking, my wife will kill me. Um, and there's lots of English people here as well. I'm just kidding. We love you, even, mostly. In the Easter story, scars are a seemingly small detail, but it's really, really very important for us. Like much of what Jesus does, it turns our ideas of scars upside down. He seems to do that, doesn't he? He turns these sort of things upside down. He shows us something different. So I want to ask three questions for us this morning. Why did Jesus have scars? Why did he keep his scars? And what happened to those scars? So why did Jesus have scars in the first place? Why did he keep his scars? And then what happened to those scars? Okay, so let's pray as we begin our time this morning. Lord God, Father, Son, Spirit, we are grateful uh, for this day. We love to celebrate. We love uh, to remember what you have done, the magnitude of what you have done. And yet in these small details, you, you speak to us. And so I ask, Lord God, that you would, by your spirit, um, open our eyes to some of the, the truths of some of these details um, in the story that would enable us to allow it to change our story and how we see that in our own lives. So whatever is of me and purely of me, would you have those things fall aside? But what is of you, would you mark it in our hearts, etch it in our hearts, and allow us to live differently because of what you've done and because of what Easter means. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So why did Jesus have scars? Well, if all scars have stories, we need to understand the backstory to Jesus' scars. This is the story of humanity, of, of human beings, uh, that we see, actually, as we go through Holy Week. All we need to do is look at Holy Week and we see Monday, Thursday, uh, or Palm Sunday to start, People saying, Hosanna, Jesus, come, save. And only a few days later, they're saying, crucify him. Monday, Thursday, we see Jesus demonstrating his love and his disciples and, and meeting together, celebrating the Passover. But he knows that one of his disciples is going to betray him. Good Friday is, is only good because of um, what it cost him. Good Friday is only good for us because it was bad for him. There was darkness. There was death. Even in Holy Week, we see this idea that humanity's story uh, was, was broken. A famous Russian author writes, describes it like this. The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. Often in stories and much of life, we are made to see people as goodies and baddies, right? We see that in the programs that we watch, the toys that we have, there are goodies and there's baddies. That this person is good and these people are good, 
but these guys know they're bad. We boo these people and we cheer these people, yay. It happens in sport, it happens in politics, it happens in playgrounds and offices and families. But what that quote is saying is more complicated than that. The line between good and bad runs through everyone. It's not just that some are good and some are bad, but actually that goodness and that badness in us um, is split in all of us. And Holy Week sees that, shows us that, good alongside bad, beauty with brokenness, success with shame, following God and then turning away from him. You see, this world needs to be restored. It needs to be rescued from that badness that we all have inside of our hearts. It needs to be rescued. Our world needed Jesus to die. You see, Jesus was the only one for whom that line didn't go through his, his heart. That he really was the pure and blameless one, the one who had no sin in his mouth. In 1 Peter 2, it says this, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. Jesus got scars because he got our wounds. He didn't deserve our wounds, but he took on our wounds. The ouchies, the owies, the stingies in our lives and in our hearts, all those parts that need plasters on the outside and actually that we feel need plasters on our inside as well. This sounds strange that Jesus would do this for us, but if you think about it, it won't seem as strange because all healing is possible because of love. And all love is costly. Love always costs something. Have you noticed that all the films that you've watched, anyone that's made you cry or moved, is usually because someone pays the price for someone else. And for kids, you, you don't need to think um, too far, too distantly. When you sleep at night, what happens when you have a bad dream or a, or a nightmare? When I was younger and I had the nightmare, I would go to my parents. When one of our kids has a, a bad dream, Miriam or I, I mean, I'm giving myself too much credit here, Miriam would go and sit with them. They choose Miriam for some reason. I don't know why. I'm pretty kind and caring. <laughs> but Miriam goes and sits with them. She doesn't sleep, so they can. She gets up and is awoken so that they can fall asleep. Love is always costly. I think of a broken window when someone aims and is aimed for the net but, but hits it too far the other way, it breaks a window. Someone has to pay for that. Someone has to pay uh, for that, whether that's a parent or the, the people whose, whose window is broken. There's always a, a payment, a cost. Love requires that cost. Jesus took on that cost for us, our failures my heavy feeling of not being good enough, the trouble I've caused, he bore that in his body on the cross. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us and he took on my sin. And what do I get? I get his healing. By his wounds, we are healed. 
Jesus saw the story of human beings, the story of Holy Week panning out, and he said to himself, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to take on their wounds so that they would be healed. They can't heal themselves. Only costly love will be able to do this. And so by my wounds, they will be healed. That's what he thought. The scars tell the story that the world needed a savior. You and I, all of creation needed rescue. And so Jesus, the king of kings, becomes a common criminal. The same Jesus who we are told was with God in the beginning, dies alone on the cross. The one who threw stars into space, we're told, to cruel nails, surrendered. And that's why Monday, Thursday and Good Friday were sad, why it was dark, why there was no celebration. But something changes with the story of Easter, of the resurrected Jesus. We had John 20 read earlier. I've been listening to it for, for several weeks now, and every time I get my bike, I stick the earphones on and I listen to John 20, and it surprises me every time. It's not how I would write something like this. It's raw, it's random, it's not like any mythical story that I've ever read, certainly. It starts in the dark. While it was still dark, Mary goes to the tomb where Jesus' body had been put, but finds it empty. She goes and tells Peter and John. They run to an empty tomb. John pointedly tells us he wins the race to get there, <laughs> but he waits at the entrance. Peter, losing the foot race, is less fit, but he's, already, he's always ready to barge in wherever he's not even asked or, or, or invited. He goes in. John is fitter, but Peter is more courageous, you could say. He goes straight in, but nothing but linen, not cloth, only cloth. Then Mary goes to the tomb. There are angels. A gardener is there, or so she thinks it's a gardener, but it was Jesus. She says, Rabboni, teacher. Jesus is no longer dead. He appears to her first. He, he shows her that he's alive. And then that evening, the disciples gathered, confused, scared, locked doors. Jesus comes among them and says, peace be with you. And then shows him, them his hands and his side, and they were overjoyed. You see, with the resurrection of Jesus, with that first day, we're told pointedly that something new is happening. Just like in the beginning, the first day something happened. Now, in the resurrection, the first day, something new is re-happening, is happening again. New creation has begun, and as the tomb is opened, the stone is rolled away, a new world has opened up. A new reality enters in. You see, what God did for Jesus at Easter, he's going to do for the whole of creation. What he did to Jesus' body in raising him up, uh, lifting him imperishable and gloriously from death to life, he's going to do for all of creation and all of this world. God will be all in all. And in Jesus' resurrection, God affirms gloriously that this is how it's going to be for everything. You see, resurrection is the climax of the story. Jesus takes the place of sinners so that new creation can be launched. Reconciliation promises and renewal promises are launched as Jesus rises from the dead. He unlocks something that had previously been locked and now a new life can shoot out, can come forth, can overflow. It was good news for creation and it's also good news for us because then what he said about what he needed to do to die for us is true. Everything that he said about dying and rising and forgiving our sins and dealing with all our, our dirt and our muck and our shame, we can believe him with that. If he had just died with scars and remained in that tomb, we wouldn't be remembering him today. 
We have lots of examples of people who have died on battlefields for love, for uh, sacrifice, and to make the world better. But Jesus is the only one for whom that, didn't, that wasn't the end, that he's no longer in that tomb, that that tomb is empty, and that changes everything for us. And so if the resurrection is all victory and daffodils, a new life, a new creation, then what's going on with the scars? This is the second question. Why did Jesus keep his scars? Because if everything was new now, surely he would have just sorted those scars out, dealt with them. If they're really all bad and they're a sign that he's a baddie, according to Disney and films, should he not have got rid of those scars? What was the reason for this? Why did he have scars? Well, first of all, it was to show that it really was him. You see, it's hard to believe today that someone would die and rise from the dead, but actually, it was as much as an unbelievable event then as it is now. We need proof. People need proof. We don't want to simply believe because we're supposed to. We're to believe because it's true. It really happened. And Thomas has that unbelief. And how is that unbelief dealt with by Jesus? By his scars, the Savior is revealed. Notice how uh, Thomas wants to see not just the hand scars, but also the one that came into his side. He didn't want to think, oh, it must have been one of the thieves that were on there. They had their hands um, scarred as well. He knew that Jesus was the only one who had uh, the scar on his side, a wound on his side. You see, when we look at Thomas, we come to part of the answer why Jesus kept his scars. You see, Thomas was one of the disciples who had been with Jesus, traveling with him, eating, sleeping, listening, questioning. Thomas was the one who we are told says, let's go and fight with him. We'll die with him. He's also the one, um, after Jesus says, in, his, uh, in, his, in the last discourse, he speaks to the disciples. He tells them that he's going to have to leave. Jesus says, you guys know where I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's Thomas who says, eh, Lord, yeah, hold on a second. We don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? In every group, you always need at least one person who asks really obvious questions, who isn't scared to look like a, um, a dummy because because they want other people to know as well. They want to know. They want to ask the question that everyone is thinking, but too embarrassed to ask. Only after asking this question does Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, Thomas has been with Jesus and the disciples through the, the story. But on the first evening of that week, of all weeks, he's not there. Jesus appears before his disciples three days after being crucified and says, peace be with you. Was Thomas late? Was he too scared to show up? I think after this incident, he would never be late to anything ever again. Maybe the term FOMO or fear of missing out was coined shortly after Thomas missed out here. That one time, I was only late once and I missed it. The other said to him, we've seen the Lord, Thomas. We have. He's having none of it. They're thinking he's messing with him because I'm gullible, I always ask those silly questions. He thinks, this is not even funny. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told them, we have seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I'm so grateful for Thomas. I think he gets a bad reputation, don't you? Doubting Thomas is so harsh to be known for all eternity. <laughs> but it's maybe better than his nickname Didymus, which means twin in ancient times. Kind of a weird nickname. But it's better also than, um, in Scotland, a diddy means an idiot, okay? So for example, don't be a diddy, Didymus. And so I love Thomas because he's got a really terrible nickname, because he's seen to be doubting. He asks really obvious questions. I think he speaks for me. He speaks for many of us. We'd perhaps have done the same. We would ask Jesus or, or the disciples who told him, we've seen the Lord, but, but I want to see evidence. I want to see his hands and his side. And so the action reconvenes a week later, which is quite long, isn't it? For those of us who are waiting in life now, yeah, sometimes it feels long. I wonder what it felt like for, for Thomas to wait those seven days. Was he on the edge of his seat all week? Did he go to everything like 40 minutes early because he didn't want to miss out? Or did he just really genuinely not believe it and was totally chill about it? He was like, this is obviously not happening. This is ridiculous. No one can rise from the dead. I don't know, what was he like? We're told this. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in, stood amongst them and said again, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas believes because he sees it really is Jesus. The scars show him, not just the hand ones, but the side ones, that it really is Jesus who died on there. Thomas goes from unbelief and doubt to trust and praise and worship, my Lord and my God. And this is, uh, for many, the high point of, of, of John. From the first verse of John, we're told, um, we're given the hint that Jesus is more than he seems. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And Jesus was that word we see as, as John goes on. And we get hints of who Jesus is. But finally, Thomas shouts it out. He believes, my Lord and my God. By his wounds, we are healed. By his scars, the Savior is revealed. The Savior is revealed in his scars. And then Jesus says to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas sees and believes, and so we are given the chance to believe, to piggyback off his belief, his seeing, and believe for ourselves. Verse 30 continues on. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in the book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you, me, us, may have life in his name. It's not believe or else but believe so that you can have life. Have life in his name, real life, true life in his name because of him. And we're able to do so because we believe that the scars still speak today. 
And so we come to our third question here. What happened to those scars? Does he still have those scars to, today? What happened to those scars? Well, in the book of Revelation, the curtain gets pulled back and we get to see a picture of heaven. Reality is, is pulled open for us and we see uh, what is true now, but that we don't see. It's filled with pictures for our imagination. Revelation 5, 6 says this, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. It looked as if it had been slain, that it had scars, that it had the effects of, of, of being slain. And this has led many to wonder whether Jesus even bears the scars of his crucifixion now in heaven. That he still has those scars, even now. I wonder if you thought of that before. We've all had the questions, what would our bodies be like in heaven? For someone who's in a wheelchair or someone who's had a disability uh, that, that has affected their life, will they uh, be out of there? What will happen to my three-month-old bro three brother who, who died, will he be older? Will I recognize him? How will that look? What will those things in, in our lives, in our bodies, how will they be restored, renewed? They're good questions. I don't have an answer. But there's something about the lamb that we see as slain, that that slainness was not something to hide, but was central to who he is. Fleming Rutledge, uh, an Anglican priest and, and theologian, she says this, the wounds of our Redeemer will always be there for all eternity as the sign of the price he paid. Love divine, all love is excelling. Those earthly scars become heavenly scars. You could say eternal scars. And again, they tell a story. The fact that the lamb is still bearing the marks of his wounds, even as he stands in triumph at the center of the throne, speaks of the ongoing significance of Christ's sacrifice and his scars. His wounds are not just a historical event that we look back on, but an ongoing testimony of his love, his power, and his redemption. And so as we look at the scars on his hands and his side, we are reminded of the depth of his love for us and the price he paid to make that redemption possible. You see, forever and ever, the price that was paid by the Son of God will be the measure of his love. The scars will always show how much he loves us. Scars are souvenirs you never lose. Maybe scars are souvenirs you, you never choose, except Jesus chose his. It shows that we can trust those hands. Life can feel like we don't know where to look. We don't know where to, to turn, whose hands to, to trust. We, we want to hold on to, to life ourselves and to believe that we're in control, but even then, we don't even trust our own hands, never mind those around us. How do we trust? We can trust his hands. Let me give you an illustration, a story I heard. An orphaned boy was living with his grandmother when their house caught fire. The grandmother, trying to get upstairs to rescue the boy, tragically died in the fire and the smoke. The boy's cries for help were finally answered by someone who climbed an iron drain pipe and came down with the boy hanging tightly to their neck. Several weeks later, a public hearing was held to determine who would receive custody of the child. 
a farmer, a teacher, and the town's wealthiest citizen all gave the reasons why they feel they should be chosen to provide the boy with a home. As they talked, the child's eyes remained focused on the floor. Then a stranger walked to the front and slowly took their hands from their pockets, revealing scars on them. As the crowd gasped, the boy cried out in recognition. This was the person who had saved his life and whose hands had been burned when they had climbed the hot pipe. With a leap, the boy threw his arms around the person and held on for dear life once again. As the other people silently walked away, they left the boy and his rescuer alone. Those scarred hands had settled the issue. The scars told the story of love, of love in action, that love was powerful and bonding. It brought them closer than words could even describe. We can trust these hands of Jesus, these scars of Jesus. He could have got rid of them, but he doesn't. He doesn't do that. We're told in the Bible how glorious, how indestructible, how imperishable the resurrection's body, uh, bodies will be, but he chose to keep those. He would be marked forever. With what? Scars of sacrifice, scars of love. Scars that speak of a story of forever love. In the, the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I know many of the, the parents love here, we certainly do. Um, it speaks of the love of God as this, a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. A never stopping, never giving up. Rick Astley would be proud. Um, unbreaking, always and forever love. He will ultimately give you up, won't he, Rick Astley, of course, but this love <laughs> never does. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love. And we can see that because we see his scars. He chose to keep us as a reminder of how costly he, his love for us was. He delights to do that because he loves us, that we are his souvenirs. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that the priests, the high priest went um, to the Holy of Holies, uh, wearing an ephod and a breastplate with various precious stones on the breastplate. And on the stones were inscribed the names of the people of Israel, the different tribes. And so people have said, well, um, as the priest goes in to present the sacrifices to God, he has the names of God's people next to his heart. They were to know that they were more precious than all the jewels of earth. But don't you think that the scars of Jesus take that to another level? We are graven on his hands. The scars have marked Jesus forever. They're not lasered away. They're not covered by gloves. They're not touched up with makeup. Humanity was not a blip. Holy Week was not a mistake. The rescue was not some last resort. But it was all part of the rescue plan of God. The wounds mean that Jesus needed to die for us. The scars mean that Jesus did die for us. And these forever scars mean that Jesus delights to remember us as those he was delighted to save. So the depth of love is shown in his scars. The Savior's love is forever revealed. By his wounds, we have been healed. By his scars, the Savior is revealed to us. And by his scars, the Savior's love is forever revealed to us. 
We are engraved on his hands by his scars. And we can trust that. So what does it mean for us? I wonder what story have your scars held in the past? What have the scars in your life told of your story? I wonder how it might be reimagined and reinterpreted and retold and renewed because of Easter and this cycle of life, death and resurrection that we're introduced to, that we're told about. What would it look like to understand and to embrace the wounds and pain in our own lives? What would it look like for us not to hide from our weaknesses, but to understand them and to accept them and to live out of them? What if healing comes when we go through the emotions that come with our wounds? What part of your story are you ashamed of that you don't think that God can do anything with? What if what seems to be your greatest weakness and pain can be used by God to become a strength, something that you can use to be a wounded healer. There are some things that only eyes that have cried can see. There are some things that only scarred hands can, can touch. Scarred lives can impact. What might it look like if those things that, that you've hidden, that you've tucked away, you've tried not to let anyone see actually end up being something from which hope can come, life can come. My prayer recently has been for my desire for, for the presence of, of, of God to be stronger than for everything else. And as I've been uh, thinking of the scars of Jesus and his hands, it's made me realize that so often I think that his heart, hands have, have, have stones. That I think that he's going to throw something at me when I'm not doing something right. My view of love is very discipline-orientated, right? It's got a stick or a stone or, I love you, but only if you do this. Jesus' hands, as I've reflected on the fact that they have scars rather than stones or, or sticks, I can come into that presence and I can dwell there and I can stay there, and I can live from there. So by his wounds, we are healed. By his scars, our saviors is revealed. And by his scars, our saviors forever love is revealed. Let me finish with the last verse of a poem called Jesus of the Scars by Edward Shiloto. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Easter Sunday means that there is now a new story for creation, for us and for our scars. Because of his scars, things have changed forever, now and forever. Let's pray together.